You're listening to the N2K Space Network. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. The battle for ultimate satellite communication domination is on. In one corner, you have the colossal Viasat Inmarsat conglomerate. In another, you have Elon Musk's Starlink constellations. And entering the ring is OneWeb, with an offer you can't refuse. Hello, Sailor. Want to try before you buy? We're keeping it safe for work. Don't worry. Today is June 7th, 2023. I'm Maria Vermazes, and this is T Minus. OneWeb launches a free trial offer for maritime customers. Musk makes moves on Mongolia. An unnamed U.S. aerospace defense contractor falls victim to malware. And we'll be bringing you the second part of my conversation with Liam Kennedy, inventor of ISS Above and education partner with the ISS National Lab. Stay with us. But first, for some breaking news as we start our show, CNBC is reporting that Wilson Aerospace is suing Boeing for a wide range of claims concerning allegedly stolen intellectual property. The lawsuit centers around custom-designed tools that Wilson says it created for Boeing. The company's lawyer, Peter Flowers, told CNBC the scope of the damages is, quote, hard to quantify, and that Boeing's actions have hurt Wilson to the tune of hundreds of millions of dollars. You can read more about that story in our show notes at space.n2k.com. And now let's take a look at today's Intel briefing. No, we're not bringing WrestleMania to your local port of call. Now that its satellite broadband constellation is online, OneWeb has announced its new entry into the ever-competitive world of satellite internet by launching an enterprise try-before-you-buy deal for maritime customers. OneWeb has 634 satellites in low Earth orbit, or LEO, and its coverage encompasses much of Europe and the upper United States, down to about the 35th parallel north. The antennae for this service are made by Chimeta of the United States and Intellion of South Korea. 
Speaking of satellite companies expanding their customer base, SpaceX CEO Elon Musk has been discussing Starlink connectivity in Mongolia. Musk and Mongolia's prime minister held a virtual meeting earlier this week to discuss potential expansion and investments in the Asian country. SpaceX registered Starlink as a company in Mongolia in 2022 and is expected to launch regionally this year. Now, staying in Asia, and a Chinese commercial launch company has conducted its second orbital mission. According to Chinese state media, the launch sent a record 26 satellites into orbit, surpassing the previous national record of 22 launched in February last year. The rocket launched from Juchuan Satellite Launch Center in the Gobi Desert. The Lijian-1 rocket, developed by CAS Space, was reportedly carrying experimental satellites, technology demonstrations, and commercial remote sensing. Now, coverage of this next story comes courtesy of our colleagues over at the CyberWire. Researchers at security company AdLumen discovered machines at an unspecified U.S. aerospace defense contractor were infected with malware. The malware, called PowerDrop, is a new malicious PowerShell script. AdLumen says this of the attack, What is novel about this malware is that another code like it hasn't surfaced before, and it straddles the line between a basic off-the-shelf threat and the advanced tactics used by advanced persistent threat groups. Now, we don't know who carried out this attack. In other words, there's no attribution yet. But AdLumen says that based on the target and the tactics used, it is likely that the threat actors are operating on behalf of a nation-state. Mark Sangster, vice president of strategy at AdLumid, said this, While the core DNA of the threat is not particularly sophisticated, its ability to obfuscate suspicious activity and evade detection by endpoint defenses smacks of more sophisticated threat actors. The fact that it targeted an aerospace contractor only confirms the likelihood of nation-state aggressors. Details on this attack are still a bit scarce at the moment. Thus far, it seems that only one aerospace contractor has been affected, and we don't yet know the extent of the impact of the attack. Right now, it's still unknown whether this incident is part of a larger campaign targeting multiple organizations. But as for mitigation for other aerospace companies, Ed Lumen says the aerospace defense industry should remain vigilant against this new malware, and also recommends that organizations run vulnerability scanning at the core of Windows systems and stay on the lookout for unusual pinging activity from their networks to the outside. And of course, we here at T-Minus, along with our friends at the CyberWire, will keep an eye on this story for any new developments for you. The U.S. Space Systems Command's Commercial Space Marketplace for Innovation and Collaboration, also known as COSMIC, has opened its doors in Virginia. SSC's lead, Colonel Rich Nisley, used the opportunity to announce that the branch is working to establish a commercial space budget line for 2025 to purchase commercial tech for the Space Force. Nisley also discussed the need for new marketplaces and innovation labs to speed work with industry. UK-based startup Pulsar Fusion is partnering with Princeton Satellite Systems to study fusion-propelled spacecraft that could make interstellar space travel a reality. The collaboration aims to help scientists better understand the behavior of plasma under electromagnetic heating and confinement when configured as an aneutronic fusion propulsion system. The results of the research will determine how a nuclear fusion plasma will behave as it exits a rocket engine, emitting exhaust particles at hundreds of kilometers per second. Scientists believe that fusion propulsion 
could provide the ability to travel meaningful distances in space within months and years, and not in lifetimes. York Space Systems has completed the acquisition of space systems and software company Emergent Space Technologies. Denver-based manufacturing company York Space is a supplier of small satellites, components, and space mission operations. Emergent has been awarded multiple contracts from the U.S. Space Force's Space Development Agency for modeling, simulations, and digital engineering, and York is one of the agency's prime contractors building satellites for SDA's transport layer. The companies have not disclosed the value of the acquisition. TechCrunch is reporting that Rocket Lab's mission to Venus that was scheduled for this year has slipped to 2025, its original backup date. Rocket Lab announced last August that it planned to go to Venus in May 2023 with what will be the first fully private mission to our neighboring planet. The company is funding the mission, while a team of researchers from MIT and other organizations are contributing to the scientific payloads. The Venus mission will see Rocket Lab's Electron rocket and Photon spacecraft send a tiny probe close to the surface of Venus, where atmospheric conditions are most similar to that of Earth. Rocket Lab sees this mission as key to answering the question, are we alone in the universe? With a specific goal to search for habitable conditions and signs of life in Venus's cloud layer. This will be the first step in Rocket Lab's campaign of small missions to better understand our rocky neighbor. And before we finish today's Intel briefing, there's been some movement in leadership roles in the UK aerospace sector. Deputy CEO of the UK Space Agency, Ian Annett, has announced that he is leaving his role in the civil service in August. And a huge congratulations to former head of Spaceport Cornwall, Melissa Quinn, for her appointment as general manager at Slingshot Saradata. You can read more about Melissa's appointment and all of the stories we've covered in today's Intel briefing at space.n2k.com. And that concludes our Intel briefing for today. Hey, T-Minus crew, if you find this podcast useful, please do us a favor and share a five-star rating and a short review in your favorite podcast app. It'll really help other space professionals just like you to find the show and join the T-Minus crew. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Today, we're including the second part of my conversation with Liam Kennedy, inventor of ISS Above and education partner with the ISS National Lab. Liam starts by telling us about the genes in space experiment that just arrived at the space station earlier this week. It's a long-term experiment program that is uh, based around a national competition. It's funded by the ISS National Lab and also Boeing. And I first met 
the genes in space folks uh, who come from MIT, I believe. And in 2015, when I was at the, my very first ISS R&D conference, and I followed very closely their development, and they launched a program that allows students and schools around the country to put their submission ideas in for experiments that are related to checking out what happens to DNA in space. And uh, the person who has won that competition this year she has come up with an experiment that's designed to test something that she was inspired by the one-year mission, which was the twin study. And that was the study that happened between Scott Kelly and Mark Kelly. Uh, Scott Kelly went to space for, for nearly a year, and Mark Kelly, his twin brother, uh, stayed on the ground. But what that allowed NASA to do researchers to do was to monitor the difference between twins from someone who spent nearly a year in space to someone who didn't. And there was a very particular and surprising result that they discovered. And it's to do with part of the genes called telomeres. And these are genetic structures that protect our chromosomes. And they shorten with age and wear. And the surprising thing is that when Scott Kelly came back, they measured these and they discovered that Scott's grew. So in space, somehow, they seem to have the opposite effect of aging. So that bonkers result means, well, how did that happen? Well, genes in space, the, the current, this new experiment that's launching up is designed to measure that in space. Because here's the thing, they didn't know to look for this while Scott was in space until they came down. So this experiment in genes in space is designed to use a fluorescent sensor, and I'm probably just killing exactly what, uh, what, it's, what it actually does, but they have now the ability to measure this in space. So that's going to be the different thing, is being able to check out this change. They're obviously not, they don't have a human being to test this on. There's some kind of biological material that they're testing this on. There's a, a really great experiment to do with plant growth. Plant growth is, is a very important aspect of long-duration human spaceflight um, because uh, when you're on a long-duration spaceflight, there's a lot of things that don't maintain themselves very well over a long duration. The food sources, they, they deplete their vitamin nutrition effect over, you know, a year or so. So they have to have some way to grow these plants. Well, this uh, particular experiment is on the plant Habitat 3, and it's designed to check out second-generation seeds. What that means is these are plants that have been grown on the space station once before, and the seeds that come from those are, have been returned to the Earth, and now they're going back again for the second generation. And they want to check, do the changes that happen to them in space uh, result in, a, in continued changes with new generations uh, of these plants? So it's really about you know, growing multiple generations of plants, which will have to happen. 
if we do this stuff for long duration space flights to uh, Mars and such like. Yeah, do those plants retain their nutrients? Do they grow differently? Are they mutating? I, I can't wait to see what happens. I'm, I'm always fascinated by simple things like pictures of a flower and growing in space is just, <laughs> or, or lettuce, you know, things like that. I just yeah. always am fascinated or by Or chilies. Chilies, that's right. Where yes. you then eat them. I'm sure they were happy to have the flavor. <laughs> yeah, in, in yeah. fact, it was Mark Vanderheij uh, who was the, the astronaut who had the job of eating the first chili. And I think it was a version of a chili that would be considered quite hot. But in space, the hotness of things is somewhat diminished for some reason. Mm, interesting. Uh, but I think I saw the video of him testing it. And yeah, I think it was pretty hot. You could see it. had a him, kick to it in know. space too. Yeah, it did. <laughs> Capsaicin ast- waits for no man. <laughs> yeah, astronauts love their hot sauces. It's one of the ways to really add some variety to the food that you're eating. They often eat their food in taco form because it's a nice, uh, a nice way to contain your uh, food that would otherwise, uh, you know, be spinning out of control. It makes sense. So, yeah. So there, there's <laughs> a, there's a lot of hot sauce that uh, that gets added to their food. Uh, one final thing. If, if I can mention, and that is a, a great experiment by ESA, uh, which is Thunderstorm Watch. Have you ever th- heard of these kinds of lightning effects that are little well known? They're called blue discharges. Sounds very medical. Storms in space have blue discharges, and what these are are lightning discharges that go instead of down. So uh, they're above the clouds, and we don't often get to see them. But the space station has uh, obviously the perfect vantage point to see these kinds of things. I've got to say, I've seen something that looks like this kind of effect in some of the live video feeds that show lightning storms. But this is a, a very particular way of monitoring those from the ISS because these kinds of of lightning effects they they go up a long way into the stratosphere they're very energetic and this whole experiment is designed to really better understand this and and its impact on earth's climate and weather so I want to make sure we we cover ISS above first I want to give you a chance to talk about that because it is an amazing thing Part of what the ISS above does, and really this was its original purpose, was to let you know every single time the space station is above you, which, uh, you know, a lot of people will be aware that you can run outside and see the space station occasionally in the night sky when it's passing by close to sunrise or sunset. But what is often missed is this space station passes you by at least five times every day somewhere in your skies, and it can be in the middle of the daytime. It's a device, you can think of it as being in over 4,500 locations worldwide, science centers, classrooms, private homes, in some astronaut homes as well, who shall remain name- nameless. <laughs> you know, so that, that's one thing. But the other thing is, it plugs into a TV, and then it shows you a whole load of information about the space station, So including all the details on every pass, 
of the space station when it's above your horizon and shows you the crew. So currently, you know, there's seven crew up there. There's a, a lovely view of exactly how many crew are up there and who they are. Uh, so anyone who's looking at this gets that information. But one of the key things about the, the ISS above is that it displays live views of the Earth from cameras on the space station. So wherever it is in daylight, you get to see the view that astronauts have when they're looking out of the cupola. And adding all of that together into this neat little package, you know, provides students and anyone who has them really great opportunity to get connected with what the space station is all about and also connected with the overview effect, if I may say. Overview effect made famous by the person who created the book and the term <laughs> overview effect. That's Frank yeah. White. And it really describes what can happen to astronauts as a result of them going to space. Well, I'm of the belief that merely looking at views of the Earth and getting present to what you are seeing uh, provides that kind of aha moment. If it's made available to enough people and uh, you really get present to what's going on. So, for instance, over the weekend, I also capture a lot of these live video clips and post them to my Twitter at ISS Above You. That's Y-O-U on the end there. And over the weekend, the space station went over areas of Quebec, Canada, that are currently experiencing some of the most extreme uh, wildfire season, or at least the start of it, that they've ever had. And uh, the space station just had amazing views of these multiple wildfires uh, across the region. And the smoke from that is now very much uh, heading into the Midwestern, North Mid Midwestern states. Uh, uh, I saw smoke plumes all over Wisconsin, Illinois, uh, Lake Michigan. It's quite, it's quite a thing to see. So, uh, and, uh, you know, and, and it's a reminder of that, but there's many other uh, parts of, of Earth viewing that play a part in, in really our understanding of climate change and uh, the impact of what we do as human beings to that. And you can check out Liam's work on the ISS Above at issabove.com. And our thanks to Liam Kennedy for joining us for both yesterday's and today's show. We'll be right back. And now a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. 
Welcome back. You know, the pathway to a love of space has many entry points. I know for some folks, it's the thrill of the build, of rocketeering and exploration, the allure of the endless unknown. And for many of us also, it's that profound, odd feeling you get when you're in a place with proper dark sky and you get totally lost staring up at the stars, feeling tiny, but also wondering what the heck is out there. And that feeling never really goes away. And that's what hooks a lot of us from a young age to be fascinated by space, isn't it? And that experience on steroids is how some of the web images make me feel for whatever it's worth. And if you enjoy diving deep into deep field images, there's a new website you should definitely spend some time getting lost in. It's the new interactive website for JADES, the JWST Advanced Deep Extragalactic Survey. Now, the URL for this one's a bit tricky. It's jades.idies.jhu.edu. Don't worry, we'll put that link in the show notes for you. You might have seen some static images from Jades before, but this new feature specifically, well, you can scroll and scroll and scroll and dive into an incredible deep field image stitched together from lots and lots of deep fields and go back a mere 13 billion years in time. So many points of light in this image, and when you zoom in on them, they're not stars but galaxies. Scroll on through and maybe think on the Fermi paradox a bit. And I'm not going to tell you what to do, but maybe have a little existential crisis while you're there if you're feeling up for it. You know, just for fun. And that's it for T-minus for June 7th, 2023. For additional resources from today's report, check out our show notes at space.n2k.com. We'd love to know what you think of our podcast, you can email us at space at n2k.com or submit the survey in the show notes. Your feedback ensures that we deliver the information that keeps you a step ahead in the rapidly changing space industry. N2K Strategic Workforce Intelligence optimizes the value of your biggest investment, your people. We make you smarter about your team while making your team smarter. This episode was produced by Alice Carruth. Mixing by Elliot Peltzman and Trey Hester with original music and sound design by Elliot Peltzman. Our executive producer is Brandon Karp. Our chief intelligence officer is Eric Tillman. And I'm Maria Varmazes. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.